0: Forever
1: dog just between us.
2: Just between us.
3: I'm a writer, mental health advocate, and very excited for this live
0: episode in honor of Pride. Hi, I'm Gabby Dunn. I'm a writer, bicon, bisexual icon, wink, and um, a bisexual icon. <laughs> Look at my shirt. The people. This is because the people that are seeing this, they get a special treat, which is seeing my shirt that says "gay, gay, gay." The people that are just listening to it, you don't get to see it. So this is just between us. Um,
3: a variety show filled with heartfelt advice, ridiculous games, and brutal games. honesty. Today is a very special episode. We were having extra guests, and it's pride focus mm-hmm. and. I'm going to
0: shut up because (laughs) (laughs) Allison has uh, uh, graciously agreed, by the way, to let me do a gay, a gay segment instead of hypothetical. So I'm very excited. I have the wheel. I have the gay wheel and I can't drive because I'm gay. So thank you so much for being here. This might be the perfect episode to get back into my series. That is my gender journey. Mm -hmm. So just like a quick Update to the people. I changed on, you know, on Instagram, you can put your pronouns. There's a special section. Oh, babe, yeah. <laughs> I, oh, I gotta tell you, I'm having a
3: hard time operating Instagram lately. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I love that. I'm like, I'm like, hey, there's a special section for pronouns, and I'm gonna, and you're like, there's a what now? Yeah, they added a section where you That's can. Awesome. Yeah. How do people
3: learn stuff about Instagram? Like, how do you learn about what the updates offer? Do you Google it?
0: <laughs> yeah so every day i google what new gay updates have they done on instagram every day i go i look and i go please god i hope there are new queer updates to instagram and most days nothing but one day oh man was it I meant updates in general there's I, i'm embarrassed <laughs> no you're doing great um yeah they added a section where you can put your pronouns and so i i had a, a she they and now i switched it to they she which i think is might seem minor to people, but um, it made me sweat a little bit. But it was nice because a lot of the fans have um, been using they for me, which is lovely, and they've been like the, noticing that the descriptions of the episodes have been using they for me or not saying like the girls talk to, but saying like the duo talks to. Um, oh, so the duo, duo.
3: <laughs> Cause I've been writing the descriptions and I didn't know what to say instead. So I've just been saying Gabby and Allison,
0: (laughs) but duo is great. Duo. You could say, um, the hosts hosts. Got it. I like duo. Yeah. Duo. The, the couple. Okay. Guys. I, I don't know if that quite works, but
3: definitely duo.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, So that's, I mean, it's just nice because you think that, I mean, it's also the excitement of like people noticing, but also the scariness of people noticing. So you're like, I do want people to notice, but also please don't perceive. Me.
3: <laughs> Have you been having conversations about it with in real life with people?
0: Yes, a little bit. I thought, I talked to my mom and I thought she understood, but then she didn't, like- I, I went over it with her and she was like, sure, yes, okay. And then she called me and was like, did your pronouns change? And I was like, oh, wow, look at that. Like, okay, yeah, like, you know, what, you know, whatever. She was like, okay, got it. Then when we were, I was home visiting, she, this is like so minor and I feel bad calling it out, but she like has this shirt that says like all the female Supreme Court justices. And then it says, and my daughter, which is a lot because I don't think that I will become a Supreme Court justice. Like, I just, I'm not sure that's in the cards for me. Like, I just, I'm not sure that that's the path that I'm on. Um, Law school's a bitch. Law school would be hard. You know, our first guest actually could talk about that. But like, yeah, I just don't know that that's like the route that I'm taking. And then she was like, you have to take a picture with me with this shirt. And then Mal was very smart. Mal was like, cause I have a sister. Mal was like, oh, you should take the picture with Cheyenne. And then it was like kind of a hint, but then she was like, why? And didn't really get it. So I may have to do like a second conversation. But it's also this thing where I think she understands people changing pronouns, but then she doesn't understand that that changes their gender. Does that make
3: sense? So yours is they, she?
0: Yeah. So can you sort of talk through that decision? And I mean, I would like prefer they, but I also have this like weird Twitch where I'm like, well, but like, I look a certain way, this is also going to get into topics, but I feel bad being like, you might perceive me a certain way and then like be like wrong. So then I feel bad being like, oh, I've inconvenienced people, which is like, so based in like nothing other than that. I currently have long hair. (laughs) Like Mm. I don't, I, I don't have it all figured out. That's been the whole thing actually about talking about this on the podcast, because like I said before, I feel like a lot of people come, if they're a public figure, they come to the internet and they go, I have figured it out. Here's the whole thing, you know? Um, And I just haven't been doing that. It's been like very incremental. Um, And I've also been like talking it through the whole time. I mean, who knows in the future, I could be like, I'm totally secure. And like, I'm sure about, you know, this, this change. And I'm like, completely secure. And I don't care if people, you know, feel like, oh, she looks a certain way.
3: You know what I mean? Like, I don't think that all public figures have
0: it figured out. I
3: think we've, we've we've been on the journey with a bunch of people, I feel
0: like. That's true. I mean, it's been nice to see like whatever, say what you want about Demi Lovato, but it's been nice to see their journey. Weirdly, David Archuleta just did like a really great Instagram post talking about not like coming out as gay and then not being sure. And then being like, maybe I'm bisexual, maybe I'm asexual, maybe I'm bi and ace, like this whole post. And I, it was like the opposite, it was like a coming out post, but it was just like almost stream of consciousness, just talking through the last few years for, for him. And that was like the most relatable coming out post I've seen <laughs> in a while. Like, I was like, I was like, wow, like that is so much realer to me. It was much more real to me than just being like, and this is the thing forever. You know,
3: so then why don't you give yourself that grace of, of that? You're probably helping a lot of people by sharing the process.
0: I know me and David Archuleta are exactly the same person. It turns <laughs> out <laughs> who could have foreseen that I'm also an incredible singer. No, I'm not. <laughs> um, so it's been interesting and it's, you know, but then also I don't want to bum anyone out, but like, then I looked at the comments under Demi Lovato's post where they changed their pronouns and they weren't great. And then I got all freaked out and sad, even though it had nothing to do with me. But I was like, it confirmed everything bad. So maybe the point is don't read the comments or look at the internet. I don't know. And also, why did I do that? Why did I hurt myself that way?
3: (laughs) Well, I think it's a normal instinct to want to look. But I think it's, again, one of those times to remind yourself that like, what kind of people leave those
0: comments? Right. And And it's not for them. And like, it's about you and it's not, but yeah, I just like kind of, I mean, I don't know, I, I feel like you want to come out and be like, I'm a role model. And I know everything. But then you're like, No, I just looked at comments on on a post by an, a non binary celebrity. And then um, I've upset myself for hours. Why? <sighs> Do- on purpose? For what reason? <laughs> it's a it's a itch that you probably want to scratch, right? But I'm what am I hoping for? I'm looking at it. And I'm just hoping that every person is like, a wonderful, compassionate, enlightened internet troll. Like, what am I looking for? (laughs) I think people feel a lot of pressure on pride to like, have it all figured out or to be like, okay, I have to be at the same place that other people are maybe. And, and you don't have to be. And also like, you think you're done. Right. So I was like, great. I'm by, we did it finished and then you're not, and then you're not done. I see a lot of TikToks where it's, it'll be like someone being like my sexuality, yay, figured it out, did it. And then gender comes and punches them in the face. And like, that's how it feels. So it's a never ending process basically. So happy pride, everyone.
3: (laughs) Do you feel any more at peace now that you're on this, on this journey? Or is it mostly just causing a lot of questioning?
0: No, no, it, 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 feels good but it's like a it's like a like a turtle where like the head comes out and you're like the head is out and then something happens and you're like go back you know like you just are like a little bit creeping out and then you like see what's going on and then you're like I'm just gonna you know what I'm gonna go back I'm gonna go back in the shell um which is kind of I've had a bunch of friends actually have like relatable experiences where there's certain people who I know who are like testing things out and then they're like okay and then they come back and then they you know and on different platforms too like I've been a little bit more open on TikTok I think than on Instagram because I'm like nobody I know follows me on TikTok which is a lie people do follow me on TikTok who I know (laughs) but yeah I don't know for some reason TikTok feels less serious or intense to me
3: TikTok feels like a journal. Like, I'm just like, yeah. jur- I'm just like journaling Why? my thoughts and feelings and doing little things just for me. <laughs> like,
0: is it because it's so fast? That, like, know. Instagram is so permanent and Twitter is so permanent, but TikTok is so fast that you're like, did I say that? I don't know. Maybe, maybe I didn't. Okay, <laughs> goodbye. Um. <laughs> so, what I'm saying is, please just um, if you want to do it coming out, I suggest a TikTok honestly. And then just email it to your friends and family. That's your official advice
3: heading into the rest of this episode. Yeah. Happy
0: pride. Make a TikTok coming out and then email it to your family. (laughs) Don't, don't text it, email it. So they know it's serious. Got it. (laughs) This show provides advice, but I think honestly, it's just been a chronicle of the two of us being like, we don't know. And here we are. Well,
3: if one I'm learning in school, it's helpful to know that you don't know. I'm in this class right now. That's like, yeah, we don't understand why therapy works, but it does. You know, <laughs> like there's so much unknown around all of this that I think the most important thing is self-compassion and then kindness towards other people. Yeah. If you have those two things, then I think you're set up more for, for success than versus like having it all figured out.
0: And maybe if other people don't un- understand, you just have to let that go. Mm-hmm. It says me to myself. <laughs> <laughs> so should we start off the rest of this episode? Yes. Oh my God. We have some amazing guests. <laughs> Stick around after the break. We'll be asking Chase Strangio some tough questions. Welcome back
3: to Just Between Us. It's time for the juiciest, most scandalous, controversial
0: segment known to all of podcasting. Tough questions! <laughs> Tough questions today stars our guest Chase Strangio, who is an American lawyer and transgender rights activist who won a series of landmark court cases in his role as ACLU Deputy Director for Transgender Justice. Uh, Strangio has inc- was included in 2020's Time 100, Most Influential People in the World. I have it written down here. He is brilliant and has truly done it all. Hello. <laughs>
2: thank you hello
3: we are so amazed that you even had time to join us this morning you seem busy
2: yes (laughs) I am a little busy I was like oh I didn't shower or change but here I am we made it no the headband is
0: iconic because it's like in all your updates that you do on Instagram (laughs) about what's going on legally Uh you're like hi I'm here in my headband to tell you about the law
2: It's like, I am just going to stay extra queer. Let's just be clear. And we're going to talk about the law. So, you know, here we are. Still in the same headband from yesterday's update. Nice. (laughs) So
3: I I think most people probably know, but this year has been horrible in terms of how many States are trying to pass laws that are anti-trans, that are against trans kids. Can you sort of take us through like why we're seeing this like surgence in in these types of laws? Oh,
2: yes, I can. Um, so, yeah. So just to give like an overview, there have been, I would say, around over 120 bills introduced around the country targeting trans young people in particular majority of them have focused on two things, banning trans kids from sports, particularly trans girls from girls sports, and then banning healthcare for trans minors. And unfortunately, it was somewhat of a catastrophic legislative session, probably around 14 of these bills ended up becoming law. Some states are still in session. So there's some You know, possibility of a few more. And I mean, I think we could look back like 50 years and trace this. We could look back five years. I mean, I think in some ways it's just the continuation of the same sort of moralistic panic about queerness and anything that diverges from the sort of white Christian heterosexual nuclear family. Think like Anita Bryant, Phyllis Shapley, like there's a long history here. And then I think in particular, looking at the targeting of trans people is very much like a backlash to marriage equality in 2015. We saw in 2016, all the bathroom bills, And then building up to where we are in 2021, I think in some ways it was a response to the failure of the bathroom bills to really move and our success in court and at the ballot. And then there was a real pivot from our opponents and a real escalation globally of anti-trans rhetoric, anti-trans money coming in for anti-trans work. And then I think for 2021, what we're seeing is sort of like the confluence of a lot of things like backlash to marriage, backlash to the Supreme Court's decision from last summer in Bostock. You know, clarifying civil rights protections for LGBTQ people, and then also backlash to the election of President Biden, um, and then you know, sort of continued shift to the right, particularly in state legislatures, um, and this being sort of a organizing principle for far right uh, government officials to try to mobilize their base leading up to the 2022 midterms, and now we're in the situation where you know, the volume is so high, but also the conversation is so cruel, cool. um, And so it's really just reached this point where we have to put in a lot more effort, a lot more resources, because we're at this really depressing sort of pivotal moment.
0: Is it a coordinated effort? Like that all of this is happening at once?
2: Yeah, it is in many ways. I mean, I think we can look at there are definitely some central groups that are funding it and organizing it, Alliance Defending Freedom, Heritage Foundation. It's possible that the right-wing legislative group, Alec, is involved. But ADF is really, ADF and Heritage are leading a lot of it. Um, There's this coalition that they formed with other groups, I think, called like Promise to America's Children, which is exceedingly gross. But again, like like, the language of like protecting women and children is, you know, it's used to do so much damage and the website is horrific and it has these like 10 points of basically it's like how to protect America's children by killing trans people in summary, which I say like it just, but it's, but it's actually their goal in many ways. And, and they draft a lot of the bills. They are very much involved in all of the litigation. I mean, I spend so much of my time reading ABF briefs and and being subject to their thinking. It's like my brain is, is, you know, warped and, you know, sad.
0: (laughs) What are the misconceptions that they're working with in terms of, let's say trans kids in, in healthcare?
2: Yeah. I mean, so there's so many, and I think with the trans kids in, in healthcare, this was like really took off in the last like two years where we have this discourse that, blew up again, largely starting in the UK, where this idea was that kids are being, you know, pushed into being trans through this notions of like viral social contagion on the internet and then having unlimited access to healthcare. I'm like, wow, that is not a world we live in because nobody has access to healthcare and especially not gender affirming healthcare. Um so it's obviously like this completely overblown rhetoric about what's happening. Um and you know there's a lot of language, too, that's incredibly paternalistic, particularly about trans masculine people. This idea that, you know, we've heard a lot about like the disappearing lesbian, for example, which has everything to do with if it's incredibly misogynistic discourse that takes away people's agency to know who we are. And uh, the idea is, well, kids go online and they learn about transness, they become trans, and then they like walk into the pharmacy and like have surgery at age like 11, which of course is completely ridiculous. Like, nope. Nope not happening. And, and, and and the idea that somehow like the pressure to be trans is stronger than the pressure to be cis is just patently absurd, right? Like we're living in a world that tells us we have to be cis. We're living in a world that assigns us the sex at birth. And then every message we receive basically from birth on is that we have set ways of being based on that. And, and then yet somehow they've fueled this conversation that, that there's this like powerful trans lobby that's aligned with the pharmaceutical company, which companies, which is like completely bizarre um, Mm -hmm. because people aren't accessing healthcare. This is healthcare that almost no one can receive. It's only provided when parents are consenting, when doctors are recommending it, when people have access to good health insurance. It's already incredibly conservative in terms of how it's administered and very much out of reach for a great majority of people who need it. It's recommended by every medical association. And then you have lawmakers coming in and being like, this is the greatest social experiment since the Nazis. And you're like, what? Yeah. Planet are we on? And so that I think is, you know, this overblown rhetoric that we're, we're dealing with and reading the, right when I was waiting to come on, I'm writing this brief in our, one of our cases in Arkansas and reading the state's defense of their law. And it is just so much about fear mongering about the idea that, you know, we could allow for people to determine who they are and how threatening that is. Um, to people who never want there to be change,
3: can you talk a little bit about like what that healthcare actually involves?
2: Um, yeah, because that's also something that's like greatly misunderstood, and our opponents are really good at weaponizing people's lack of information to fill in the gaps in like the most terrifying ways they know how. So generally, when we're talking about trans young people and accessing medical care, first we're only talking about kids once they reach puberty. So before puberty, when it's, you know, you're treating kids with gender dysphoria, um, which is, you know, the medical condition that you know, many trans people have, particularly when they are denied access to affirm themselves, you know, no one gets, you know, medical treatment before puberty for, for, for gender dysphoria. And, and then once, you know, for kids, again, the small subset of people who actually have access to healthcare and supportive families you know, at the onset of puberty uh, for, you know, the past few decades, there's been treatment called puberty blockers or puberty delaying treatment. Essentially, this is just medicine that people take that pauses their puberty, which I really wish was available to me. And it essentially, you know, especially for kids who, you know, have very strong binary trans identities from a very young age, Puberty is a catastrophe. It's a catastrophe for everyone, um, but especially for, for trans folks. And this treatment is, you know, it's very well recognized in the medical profession. It puberty. Either you, you stop it and natural endogenous puberty begins, or you proceed to have hormone therapy. But at some point within the typical age range, puberty begins either in accordance with your gender identity or in accordance with your sex assigned at birth. Um, or some combination, it's a very temporary, very much reversible treatment and is used on cis kids all the time who have puberty start too early or what's considered too early. But under, so for example, Arkansas passed a law banning this care. So not only will it prevent kids who are about to go through puberty to access it, kids who are on the care now, if this law goes into effect, will have it abruptly stopped, which is terrifying. And then it all, you know, the other, you know, main form of treatment that we're talking about is hormone therapy. And, you know, for transmasculine people, this is testosterone. For transfeminine people, it's a testosterone suppressant and estrogen of some kind. And again, this is also care that is routinely provided to these people. You know, whether it's, right. you know, for conditions like polycystic ovary syndrome, ovary syndrome, where you may have like excess testosterone beyond what is deemed typical, and then you suppress it um, mm-hmm. with, under the care of an endocrinologist. You know, people assigned male at birth may start puberty late and feel very stigmatized. They also may take testosterone to initiate puberty. Endocrine treatments that are pers- prescribed to trans people are routinely per- prescribed to cis people. The mm-hmm. law doesn't prevent them, it only prevents it when it's provided-, provided to trans minors. And again, it's already very difficult to get this care. And then, you know, with respect to surgery, which, you know, a lot of the conversation is around surgery, very few trans people under the age of 18 have surgery. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, generally speaking, it's older adolescents and only chest surgery of some kind. So either breast augmentation or chest masculinization. Again, in Arkansas, for example, where they banned the care, there are no surgeons providing care to minors anyways. So, right. you know, we're talking about something that's not happening. Of course, the law also permits non-consensual, <laughs> completely medically unnecessary surgeries on intersex infants right. for the sole purpose of, you know, conforming their genitals to what the state believes to be like sort of typical binary genitals for someone assigned male versus someone assigned female. So it's not about stopping surgery. It's about conforming people's bodies to expectations of what um, quote male female male body should look like and a female body should look like. And in the process of enforcing those norms, stripping you know a whole generation of young people from healthcare that they need. And I know this is
3: probably obvious, but I, I don't think it ever hurts to hear it. Like, why is going through puberty so harmful if you are trans.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think if you like imagine someone who's five and they realize they're a girl, but they were assigned male at birth and we have so many like secondary sex signifiers of what is maleness and what is femaleness for better, for worse. And uh, so many of those become a particularly salient at puberty. So if you're someone who's, you're five and you're lucky enough to have supportive parents, you've been living as a girl, you've been seen only as a girl. And then all of a sudden you start like getting an Adam's apple and growing facial hair and like um, having genital growth in ways that feels really distressing. That is really when things can become a a crisis for trans kids. I mean, it can, you know, earlier as well, but I think that hormonal changes um, that happen in puberty are very difficult for anyone to contend with in their body. We don't talk about our bodies in any sort of meaningfully useful way in this Mm -hmm. country or, and then if, you know, you're starting to get all of these cues around gender that the world is now responding to and you can't control it or stop it, I think it can be really challenging. And especially with the information available to people now, young trans kids know that these changes that come through puberty can't be undone in many ways. I mean, you know, and so it's like, yes, a lot of the things that end up being what Later in life, surgical interventions are for are things that happen, in, whether it's like hair removal or uh, breast removal or any, any number, like uh, facial feminization surgery. Stature is one that is hugely a trigger for dysphoria, both for trans mask and trans femme folks. And so much can be shifted based on sort of what types of medical care people have access to uh, during and after puberty.
0: Can we talk about the sports bills? that are going on? Cause uh, w- like, it's just another angle. Is this, is this just them sort of trying to be like, okay, so this healthcare thing might not work. Let's hop over to this.
2: I think it's very much in coordination with the healthcare thing. insofar so far as like right now, they're pushing these laws that are essentially like, it is harmful to be trans and we're going to stop it. And with right. the healthcare, it's like, it's harmful to you, trans person to be trans and we're going to take your healthcare away. With the sports, it's, it's harmful to cis people to be proximate to trans people. So we're going to take you away trans people. And I think that the sports bills are very much like the the bathroom stuff didn't work, we're pivoting here. Um, And we're going to sort of move these alongside the healthcare bans. And I think in many ways, it's, you know, sports became the site of this conversation because sports is already a very contested place of bodily regulation and sort of like what is an appropriate body and how it, who is empowered to decide that. And there's such a long history in sport of incredibly, you know, violent sex policing that happens, you know, and and we could trace it back about like, you know, a hundred years to when you started to see more people, more women in sport. And and then you had these sort of regulatory regimes to sort of police the bodies of like, well, who is quote unquote, really a woman. And those were almost always sort of deeply entrenched with norms of anti-blackness and white supremacy and the way in which sort of that which was seen as a sort of cis heterosexual white woman was the only way to be a woman and to be an athlete. Everyone else is placed out of the category. Mm-hmm. That long history is there going back a hundred years, particularly in the international elite competition, and now we've imported it into sort of the K through 12 space in the United States under this guise of quote unquote protecting women, which again, much like the protecting children. Is total nonsense um, and really about controlling people's bodies, enforcing sex binaries, and ultimately harming all women.
0: Well, I think the real harm is um, forcing people to wear a mask, and <coughs> that's what I will be out on the streets protesting. I think my body, my choice, and um, and it's oppressing me that I have to wear a mask.
2: Well, yeah, you can see the, the consistency <laughs> of principle here because. All of a sudden, people are like, oh, don't impose your roles on me. But they are so happy to impose their roles on other people. And
3: because all of this is kind of coming up through state legislation, like what role does all of these, you know, voter repression, voter restricting acts have in terms of like making it more likely that these things will go through and become law?
2: Yeah, so that I mean I think is something we should be so deeply concerned about. And actually if you trace sort of like how we got to this point, it really I mean there's there's lots of ways to to sort of look at the progression, but there were strategic takeovers of state legislatures that then resulted in gerrymandering and then voter suppression efforts. If you look at North Carolina for example, you know that's a state that used to be far more progressive. It was strategically targeted by the GOP. Then you had, you know, shifts in power in the General Assembly in North Carolina that led to uh, you know, all of the bills that then got modeled and, and copied elsewhere, including voter ID laws, you know, anti-trans laws, anti-immigrant laws, expanded policing laws. And and then now we're in this situation where, you know, this year in 2021, this, you know, the main themes in state legislative advocacy in in more conservative states were, you know, to suppress the vote and sort of under the false narrative of voter threat, target trans kids under the false narrative of trans you know, kids dominating sports, which is just patently untrue and then uh, chill protest and sort of criminalize, you know, you know, largely focused on criminalizing BLM, but then generally sort of anti-protest bills. And now essentially what that's going to do limits people's access to the polls and expands the power of the government to police people's bodies.
0: Uh, Do you feel like, cause I feel like there was such a large push for marriage equality and a lot of money going into that. And then that happened in 2015 Do you feel like then sort of the LGB part like dropped off a little bit in terms of like the T? Because I always feel like it's like, oh, we're the LGBTQ community, but then it's easier to go after the T and everybody just kind of goes, oh, well.
2: Yes, I think in many ways, what happened is you had sort of a decade's worth longer of of resource investment, um, movement investment in in building out the conditions for marriage equality. We win in 2015, but none of the legwork was done to really protect, you know, people in the community who were most likely to experience the backlash from that win from the inevitable set of policy uh, demands from the right that were are going to uh, you know injure and um, really constrain opportunities for for trans people in our community in particular and so now we're in this position where you know you had marriage equality in 2015 and the rise of anti-trans rhetoric really spiking at the end of 2015 and 2016 and then moving through the trump administration and i don't think we're seeing in this moment anywhere close to the type of investment in stopping anti-trans bills and moving trans justice that we saw um, for marriage equality in the beginning of the 2000s leading up to uh, the 2015 decision in Obergefell and and 2013 decision in Windsor. So I think there is like a lot of critique that is owed to the mainstream LGB movement as well for really failing to build out the work that we need in order to meaningfully defend trans lives from these many, many attacks that we're facing.
0: I always wonder if it's because marriage is palatable to cis and hetero people and And being trans is it's not as understood as, oh, well, you just want to be like us or something like it's
2: not as easy to sell. I think that's definitely a huge part of it. I mean, there's I mean, marriage, like the defense of civil marriage as an institution is a deeply conservative one. It's one that, you know, sort of aligns with power structures that exist. I mean, even if you read the Obergefell decision, which, um, you know, Justice Kennedy authored, it's a nightmare. It's like, oh yes, like marriage, the sole thing that gives meaning to life. Mm -hmm. And if I would be alone and sad and lonely on my deathbed, that would be so tragic if a gay person didn't have that. And then of course it it has nothing, you know, there's nothing about equality, nothing that's really useful for other decisions, all about like how amazing marriage is. And of course, one of the byproducts of, of the Obergefell decision is that all of these alternative structures that queers have been developing for generations then no longer were legal or had the same legal currency. So like domestic partnership benefits or other ways that people were able to set up protections for their family outside of what the, was traditionally recognized by the state. Um, it really goes away after Obergefell. We sort of, you know, entrenched the monogamous civil marriage notion, like beyond recognition even further through our own marriage advocacy, and and I think that was a really sort of palatable set of demands for a conservative capitalist society. Whereas, you know, certainly there are more palatable trans demands, like obviously, like military um, inclusion, for example, yeah. is a big one. Where you can see through every civil rights movement, the military serves this very particular purpose. Um, you know, in part because it's a large employer, there is power, there are symbolic power and otherwise, and because it's a really conservative demand. And I think that you will see over and over the way in which, particularly when we over rely on law, uh, which is inherently conservative, uh, we end up making these really conservative demands, constraining what we think is possible for our communities. And because as trans people, we are sort of inherently, at, you know, or I shouldn't speak for everyone, but I believe in transness as being somewhat inherently incompatible with these very binary notions of like family and civil society in the u.s that's a threat and the more it's a threat the more it's opposed and i think that's a lot of what we're contending with now yeah i
0: was like do not make me argue for the military like when yeah. there was the trans man i was like god damn it do not make yeah. me argue for i don't i they should be allowed in but also disband it god damn it you guys
2: I mean, the perils of being a lawyer like and like, you're just like, oh, what am I doing? Um, you know, inclusion-based work is just inherently the worst in some level. And it's like, I like to believe that it like moves us along and creates more space. But sometimes you catch yourself making arguments and you're like, all right, I guess this is where we're at.
0: <laughs> yeah, even the, I love those like neoliberal memes where it's like more women guards at the camps. <laughs> I'm like, I'm funny. That's like sometimes what it
2: feels like. You're like, what am I arguing? Yeah, it's. I mean, I think it's why we need to make like really more transformative structural demands. And, and civil right. rights law just is inherently not that. It's, it's about equal treatment, like not justice, not redistribution. It's like, oh, like I will be equally mistreated as a worker, not like <laughs> workers will be... <laughs> like, better treated, you know, and it's like the different, you know, it's like, just like fire me for, you know, it, it's not great, I will say, yeah. but at the same time, obviously, like we, you know, we try to push the bounds of the law so that hopefully more people will stay alive, more people will find that path, path to thriving and then make more transformative demands because we're not the ones as lawyers doing it.
3: And so what role does the federal government play in all of this with all of these states laws? Like, can they step in and, and kind of put the
2: kibosh on it? Is that not possible? Is that just unrealistic? Okay. So the, I think this is a complicated question that there's like a lot of confusion about, in part because we are like deliberately not informed about anything related to civics and how government works. Like, it really took me like, being a lawyer for five years to understand like even the basics of separation of powers in this country, which is troubling, just as like a matter of what we're taught and in school and and elsewhere. I mean, so I think one of the challenges, particularly the last 20 years is that Congress, so the legislative branch of our federal government largely does nothing. They don't do anything. They don't pass laws. It's totally just like stalemate. So then what's happened is you have, that has caused the executive, so the office of the president and federal agencies to do a lot. And then with the expanded executive power, which we see, you know, from George Bush, W from George W. Bush, Obama, Trump, all and, and Biden now that you have a lot of action from the executive. Then inevitably people who oppose that sue over it. Then the judiciary ultimately is, is gonna be the check on executive power with Congress just doing nothing. And that's like reductive on some level, but that is what, what what's happening. And so now the real question is you know, how bad are the courts and what's going to happen? Because yes, the Biden administration can say it violates federal law to pass these state laws. And they have. So just yesterday, they weighed in in our litigation in Arkansas and in West Virginia. So in Arkansas, in our challenge to the ban on health care, federal government weighs in, Department of Justice files a statement from the United States saying this law is unconstitutional. But that's not self-effectuating. That's just the position of the federal government Ultimately, it's still going to be decided by the courts. And same thing in West Virginia. They weigh in to say the ban on trans girls participating in girls sports violates Title IX, which is the federal prohibition on sex discrimination in education, as well as the Constitution. Great statements from the Biden administration. Really great to see. However, ultimately, it's still going to be decided in court. And so then the question becomes, you know, so much has shifted to the right, particularly because Trump. This administration was incredibly effective at appointing judicial, federal judicial nominees. Those are lifetime appointments. Most of these questions will be decided in the courts. And that's scary for many reasons, but the courts are not great. Um, So now we're in this position where, yes, we're going to see the federal government taking various types of action to try to curtail the many sort of disturbing infringements on civil rights at the state level. But a lot of it is going to be sort of this conflict between, you know, what does our state law mean? What does the federal law demand? And then, the unfortunate reality is that the federal courts get to decide that, and ultimately the Supreme Court gets to decide it. And we now have a six-three, very conservative Supreme Court. That's where we find ourselves um, in this moment. I, I still think, you know, at least in. Many courts, particularly in lower federal district courts, we will be able to win in the first instance to block some of these laws. We have been successful so far. Um, you know, last year, we were able to block Idaho's law. But the higher up you get in the courts, the more scary and unpredictable it is. And that's where I think the real impact of Trump's um, takeover of federal judici- judiciary will be felt. And we're just going to have to keep pushing back and, and seeing, you know, if we are able to to retain these protections that the federal you know, the constitution and federal civil rights laws, like very clearly afford.
3: We saw with like the bathroom bill that the private sector was sort of able to push back on it, right. By saying like, Mm -hmm. we're not going to have our businesses here. We're not going to have our sports events here, you know, but now that these trans um, healthcare and sports bills are in so many different states, can the private sector push back in the same way? Or would that like leave it to them just being able to have events in like New York and California?
2: (laughs) Uh, I mean, I think it's, so this, I've been very troubled by like the lack of corporate engagement this past legislative session. And I think on one level, it's like, yes, well now it's reached the point where it's so many states that, you know, it would be really hard to sort of boycott all of them. Mm -hmm. And I think there's real questions about strategically whether an economic boycott is the right thing to do because the people who are harmed by that are largely, you know, people living in the states who actually need like an influx of resources for any number of reasons. That said, I think it wouldn't have been 15 states if they had engaged early on and set the tempo. And we could have been in a situation that looked more like 2016, where we had a strong reaction at the outset. Um, And then there was a deterrent factor, which we saw. And unfortunately, there was just a lot of recalcitrance from corporations, from sports associations, And so now we're in this situation where we have a lot of these bills. I do think in some ways that was partially a product of COVID where, you know, the first bill passes in 2020, but what does it even mean? You know, no one's moving around in the same way at that in March of 2020. Um, and, And so there is a real question that at that point, well, what are the consequences because for example, in Idaho, they did move sport events. They did sort of cancel sporting events, but it was because of COVID. Right. And so you had this sort of really complex set of political dynamics at play. And then 2021, it was just sort of a storm, tidal wave that we couldn't stop. That, you know, I still think corporations, you know, were asked to do a lot more. They did not. They're perfectly happy to change their Twitter avatars to rainbows, which is just yep. beyond infuriating. I'm like, oh, please get out of here. Um, <laughs> I know exactly what you didn't do. And had you showed up, we wouldn't be in this situation. And in addition to the numbers, I do think that these bills were very, very specifically and exclusively aimed at trans people um, and that we are not seeing the levels of support that we saw when it was more LGBTQ um, focused. And even HB2 which was sort of in many ways understood as a bathroom bill. I think that because it also stripped non-discrimination protections based on sexual orientation and had other provisions that really did sort of impact a larger community than just trans people. Of course, these bills impact a lot more than just trans people, but the very clear goal of them is to hurt trans people. And I think that there's just simply not as much corporate willingness to to fight for trans people as we've seen for cis gay people.
0: What do you think would be helpful? Like what could, let's say, someone listening or, you know, the average person do?
2: I think first and foremost that we all can help by sort of getting our head around all of this and figuring out where, you know, what is going on politically where I live? Like, it's not just about presidential elections. It's not just about Congress, but it, like where, you know, what's happening in the state where I live, you know, most legislative sessions have ended, but we have a lot of work gearing up for next year. Getting people acquainted with state and local politics and elections so that people are really tapped in, um, not just every four years, but every year, lots of elections are happening that really impact our lives and that we, you know, if we do a lot of learning and educating and teaching each other, we can be more engaged and have more power and control over the things that are going on that really impact us. So I think doing that, getting information, sharing information um, is just absolutely so important, particularly gearing up for the 2022 midterms and then the 2024 presidential election. I know people are like exhausted from, you know, 2020, but one of the reasons (laughs) that that things got so bad is that Obama only had the control of Congress for two years. We did not maintain control for for the Dems. And, you know, and then that leads to situations where you have a Senate majority leader like Mitch McConnell, who's then preventing, you know, nominations from the Supreme Court to go through and you end up in a situation where things are very precarious. And those elections have a huge amount of power over what happens. And I think when we, think about what's going to happen next year in 2022, a lot of the discourse and rhetoric from these state legislative sessions around voter fraud and trans people are going to show up as the you know campaign points next year. And so we all have like a big role to play in pushing back against those narratives, telling different stories, helping people show up at the polls, giving people information about candidates, and, and really like thinking both short and long-term about what's happening and how it's going to impact our lives. And so that, I think, piece of it is really important. We also, I think, can help leverage our power where we have it, whether that's relationships to companies, whether that's, you know, in really, with financial resources for those who have them. Like, start donating to trans led organizations, start making demands as a consumer. Um, when you see these companies put up Pride, Avatar, like, call them, hold them to account. Um, like, did you show up for anti trans laws or are you donating massive amounts of money to anti trans politicians? We have. A role to play as a consumer we have or as consumers we have roles to play as people who are proximate to wealth potentially or to um, corporate power in one way or another and so trying to figure out where we can leverage the power that we have yeah so and then donating where we can particularly to trans-led orgs and then i think too just you know being you know really engaged in the conversations and helping combat misinformation um, particularly for cis women so much is being done in the name of cis women right now around anti-trans rhetoric and I think the more cis people in general and cis women in particular speak out and say, listen, not in my name. I'm not threatened by trans people. My notion, like in the same way that it was really powerful for straight people to be like, yo, my marriage is fine whether or not you get married. Because <laughs> that's, you know, like, that's how ridiculous this is. Mm-hmm. Like there's not like a zero sum on womanhood, And that the more we say that if you get to be a woman that I don't get to be a woman, that's ridiculous. And so just helping combat that and doing it visibly consistently is so important because the rhetoric is so unrelenting and so cool.
3: Do you get the sense that among the general public, as many people are anti-trans healthcare as these state legislators makes it seem? Uh,
2: Not with healthcare. I don't, you know, I don't, I think people don't know, but I've been sort of surprised at how difficult it is to get that people's head around this and they're like, but it's kids. And and so I don't think it's nearly the numbers that you know it's not like this is a constituent you know driven effort. It's not like people are calling up Arkansas lawmakers and being like, you know what really concerns me? Trying kids. <laughs> you know, I think that they're calling up their lawmakers and being like, you know, we need jobs. Like I don't yeah, really, I really mean, you know what these bills are coming because groups are writing them and sending them to people. It's not like organic in that way. That said, I think when polled, people don't have a lot of information and then they are reflexively opposed to it. You know, it's like, you always hear lawmakers being like, well, you know, if my kid came to me and said, like, I want to be a cow, I wouldn't let them be a cow. And it's like, okay, well, like, you know, I have a kid, I, you know, these, these, these kids don't consistently tell you that they're going they, they need to be a cow. Like that's ridiculous. Yeah. It's just like, yes, our children, they play make-believe and they do lots of things and they try on lots of things and we should absolutely affirm that. But when we're talking about trans kids, we're talking about kids who are like so depressed and so Mm -hmm. just devastated by the fact that people aren't seeing them. Mm -hmm. And it's just fundamentally different than these flip remarks that people are are making. But I think that there is this reflexive sense that we don't give kids agency and we don't let kids say who they are in a multitude of ways. And we have totally completely distorted conversations about violence and threat, which has allowed so much violence to happen in Mm -hmm. the home. And I think that, you know, a lot of this is just generally uh, people's unwillingness to imagine that we can decide who we are. And that's, you know, so troubling to people when you talk to so many parents who have watched their kids, you know, suffer, many of whom didn't support their kids right off the bat or understand it. And a lot of these young kids are not finding out about transness on the internet. They're, they're just like, I know who I am. Mm-hmm. But thank God we have the internet to give people a space to find affirmation, to find validation. It's not like the internet is like the site of quote unquote contagion. It's that kids are struggling and sometimes there are places where they can be affirmed. And so I think there's just a lot of work to be done to help people move through their reflexive biases about the idea that. A kid could know who they are, they are better than their parents or better than the world. But I think that that's always true. Like, you know, our kids know who they are in, in many, many ways. And then also, when it comes to sports, I do think there is this, again, like born of misogyny, born of trans misogyny, this idea that. Um, you know, trans girls are really quote unquote male and that males are really, "quote" that males are better than females at everything.
0: You know, what would help is if those trans girls were able to access puberty blockers and estrogen so early so that you wouldn't have the same
2: pits. Oh, hold on. Yeah, exactly. It's like you're banning the care that is the very thing that you're claiming is the problem. So exactly. I don't know what to say. Like, you're like, oh, once you go through, like they say, you know, once you go through puberty, But I'm like, you know what, as you just said, these kids don't want to go through puberty. So Thank you. Thank you. We could just, you know, not pass any of these laws and everything would be fine.
3: Right. I just want to like close on just like reinforcing that the medical community supports these treatments, right? That like they've all come out and been like, this is the best thing to do is to put your
2: kid on puberty blockers if they are trans, right? Yeah, I mean, the, the medical community, there is like a whole set of guidelines from the endocrine society, not like some radical entity, like a group of endocrinologists, like that governs the profession of pediatric endocrinologists and the American Academy of Pediatrics and the American Medical Association. Like, these are associations representing tens of thousands of doctors across the country. They are not sort of flip in their thinking. These are well thought out, well researched medical opinions about the fact that this care is necessary, it's safe, effective, and it's not experimental. So you have the whole medical community saying that. And then you have the state saying, this is experimental. We have to stop it. And so it is absolutely not driven by medicine. It's not driven by science. Of course, this is not the only example of things in law that are not driven by medicine and science is one of the many examples and it's tragic. And, and what we're seeing in Arkansas, which is now the only state that has banned healthcare for trans minors, you know, they have this sweeping ban. There is no other comparable type of medical care that is categorically banned by statute and any, you know, this is not a typical way to, to regulate medicine at all, even medicine like abortion, which is over-regulated and banned. It is not banned to this degree for whole categories, people, all types of care. And abortion is a, you know, generally speaking, a single procedure. This is care that can be needed for six, seven years, you know, up to 18. And so really what what we're seeing is is kids and their families having to flee Arkansas. And one of our clients, a doctor, who is one of our clients in our lawsuit against Arkansas, you know, testified multiple times to the Arkansas legislative, to the General Assembly and said, I am a doctor and I am telling you my patients are going to suffer. They're going to die. This is absolutely catastrophic what you're doing. You're taking away my ability to care for my patients. I am going to personally call every single one of you when, you know, when something bad happens to one of my patients. They looked her in the eye and passed the law anyways. Um, So they're ignoring their doctors in state. Um, They're banning medical care in the middle of a pandemic. And it is deeply troubling. And unfortunately, you know, looks like maybe something that becomes a trend. Um, But hopefully we're able to, to block it in court.
0: Thank you so much for being here. Can you tell everyone where to find out more about you, where to hear your updates in your fun headband, where people can find out more about you and about your work?
2: Yeah, I'm on Twitter and Instagram at at Chase Strangio. I try to do a lot of updates about the law on Instagram and Twitter. Um, I also work at ACLU, so at ACLU on, on Twitter and at ACLU underscore Nationwide because some random person is at ACLU on Instagram. And so beware. Yeah. And then, you know, I think in terms of like places to look for to, to drive resources, I've been really focused on driving resources to the trans justice funding project because they distribute money out to trans-led organizations across the country so that we can get resources into the groups that are doing the work um, in a lot of these states that are targeted by these bills.
0: Thank you so much for being here. Really yeah, appreciate it. Thank you both it. for having me. Happy Pride. Happy Pride. Pride. <laughs> <laughs> after, after that discussion, <laughs> <we're> like, Woo! <laughs> Woo, I love it. Love <laughs> <the> it. <movie." laughs> <laughs> thank,
2: thank you, so, you much. so
3: much. Thank you both. Have a good one. Stick around after the break. We'll be playing a brand
0: new game show. between us it's time for whatever gabby has planned okay so we are gonna play the gay offs which is like the playoffs for football but gay our guest for the gay offs is kaylin allen kaylin is a social media star youtuber digital creator actor writer maybe most known for taking over for ellen for a while do you feel prepared to play the offs?
1: oh i i feel very prepared to play the game
3: well i feel like i want to get to know you a little bit what prepares you to play the game
1: well, I think you know I, I'm very well versed on everything that is gay, so yeah. I think that I will be able to be very quick on my feet to be able to give you reasons.
0: How do you feel about um, being a fashion icon?
1: Are you giving me that title, or is that what is that what people say?
0: I saved a picture of you one time because you were um, in like a cape outfit. It was incredible.
1: Oh well, thank you. You know I love fashion. I believe that if you look good, you you feel good.
0: How was it hosting The Ellen Show?
1: A dream come true. If I could do it every day, I would. It was honestly the best thing that I've ever done in my career so far. I loved it.
0: Well, when are you going to get your own show?
1: You know, my hope (laughs) is that we can make that happen. I'm putting it into the universe.
0: (laughs) Well, perfect. I think you'll be very prepared to host The Gay Offs when it is sold to, I assume, ABC. Beautiful, (laughs) love it. My co-host. Okay. So the first game is called "Why is it Gay?"
3: I just want to say I'm not at all qualified to play this <laughs> game,
0: and okay. um, I I know I will lose, and I accept that, and I should lose. Okay. Wow. Okay. What an ally. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, we don't know who's gonna win, except I do have on my paper who wins. Okay.
1: Wait. wait <laughs> so, do I have to like hit a buzzer or something, or are you do it one no, by one? No, I'm
0: gonna prompt you i'm gonna prompt you could
1: be fun though
3: to create a buzzer with your mouth if you want to buzz in
1: okay great
0: exactly so why is it gay i'm going to give you each a thing concept or event and you have to tell me why it is gay in one sentence if i like your reason you will be correct if i don't like your reason you are banned from brunch at the abbey forever (laughs) okay uh first one up is kaylin they're gonna start and uh, your thing, concept, or event is frogs. Frogs, why are they gay?
1: Frogs are gay because they they leap from one pad to the other.
0: <laughs> Perfect. I don't know that made ding, sense. ding, 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 ding. No, I like it. I like it. Okay. Okay. Well, that that makes sense. Um, The correct answer is that frogs are gay. So you are right. Okay. <laughs> oh, wait, they are? No, they are. Frogs are gay? All of them.
1: Right. What that may... <laughs> they okay. are. I
0: love, I don't make the rules. I'm just telling you what I know. Okay, Allison, your concept thing or event is falling in love with a ghost. Wow. Okay. I think that
3: um falling in love with a ghost is gay because it it doesn't conform to harmful and incorrect societal expectations about what love should
0: look like. And it's
3: also objectively very cool.
0: Ding 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 ding. That is correct. Falling in love with a ghost is gay. Okay, Kaylin. So
3: that's off the that's like I could never fall in love with a ghost now.
0: Um you can. It would just be gay of you to do. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> okay. Kaylin, your concept uh thing or event is Baskin Robbins. Why is it gay?
1: Baskin Robbins is gay because it's fruity. <gasps>
0: Ding 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 ding. Correct. It is 32 flavors of gay. And then some. That is an Ani DeFranco quote. Ergo, Baskin Robbins is gay. I love Baskin Robbins.
3: <laughs> have you ever had their birthday cakes? Because they're out of this world.
1: I haven't, but you should have the wild and reckless. It's a sherbet is great.
3: Ooh, I do. I never get
0: sherbet anywhere other than Baskin Robbins. Yeah, we're Thanks. not sponsored by Baskin Robbins. I just find them very gay. <laughs> <laughs> Allison, your uh concept thing or event is. Space travel. Why is it gay? Okay, so space travel
3: is gay because it it means that you're willing to go the extra hundreds of thousands of miles just to have a good time.
0: That is correct. We are known for long distance relationships and also traveling far to go to good gay bars and events. So, uh, yes, yeah, space travel is. I wrote here very gay. <laughs> Okay, wow, everyone is doing such an amazing job so far. We are winning. We have two points here and two points to Kaylin.
3: Wait, Kaylin, if you could go into space, would you? Yes. I don't think I would. See, I, this is, it's true. Wow. <laughs>
1: would you be scared?
3: Yeah. I don't think I would like being in um a ship.
1: For that long, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. Well, maybe it's like a, you know, a two-day trip. You go and come right back like a cruise. <laughs>
0: I can see that, yeah. <laughs> like you, like when you drive to Palm Springs and back, you just go wow. to a little Airbnb in space, the po- the moon, which is obviously the Palm Springs of space. And okay. Then you come back to... <laughs>
3: I also am so curious, like how much that hurts when you're when you're taking off. The face? It, yeah, you see their faces just like...
1: I think I'd be more concerned about like how hungry I would be. Oh, <laughs> the yeah. The food
0: is bad in space.
1: Yeah. yeah. That
0: is true. Um, And they, I think, give you Dippin' Dots, which seems straight to me. And why are you going? You're just going to have a good view. (laughs) Is that like... Can you imagine if we had an actual astronaut on and Allison was like, so first question, did you go to space, like what,
1: for the view? Uh, Right. Like, what are you really doing out there? Like, you're just floating around in space.
3: (laughs) Well, because we're (laughs) civilians. So, like, space travel for civilians,
0: like, what's the point? Just for... I don't Sir, really get um, it to claim, you know, like pe- call, uh, people want to claim. People want to uh, have victory. They want to conquer. Oh, Kalen, is that why you want to go to space? Yeah. <laughs> Where what what planet are you most likely to go to? Please?
1: I'm going to go to Pluto because they uh, they try to count my home skillet biscuit out.
0: That's true. And he and he needs support at this time. Right. Mm-hmm. Please donate to our Pluto Kids Support Fund. <laughs> uh, and not to they sell you. Just kidding. Please donate to oh, they sell God. you.
1: Uh,
0: okay. So, Kaylin, your concept thing or event is the concept of Jessica Simpson. Why is it <laughs> gay?
1: The concept of Jessica Simpson is gay because she sells shoes for every gay.
0: There it is. Ding, ding, ding. The concept of Jessica Simpson is gay. I do own multiple pairs of her shoes. They are actually great.
1: Right. And I also think that Jessica Simpson's shoes sizes go up like to big, real big feet so even drag queens can wear them. Why don't we respect her more? She's
0: like an
3: icon.
1: <laughs> she's, a, she's a queer pop icon, I think.
0: I think that the queers respect her. She had a yeah. great book come out. She really spilled some tea in that book. Uh, yeah. She, I just saw a really awesome photo of her that people thought was a photo of Willem. And I was like, actually that they look exactly like, and I love that for them. That's
1: shady boots. Oh my gosh.
0: <laughs> um, so I, yeah, I, I think, you know, I think the gays should pick her up. Cause like sometimes there's like straight people, like forget about certain pop stars and then gay mm-hmm. people are like, we will embrace them and they will be ours forever. And yeah. I feel that we should do that with Jessica Simpson.
1: Yes. Yeah.
0: Okay, so Allison, your final why is it gay is the scent country apple from Bath & Body Works. So I think that the scent of
3: country apple from Bath & Body Works is gay because it makes the world a better place despite smear campaigns against it. Ding,
0: ding, ding, that is correct. The correct answer is that country apple, the scent from Bath & Body Works is decidedly bisexual. So your answer actually does make a lot of sense. They make the world a better place despite smear campaigns against it, just like me, a bisexual person. Well, thank you so much. You guys are tied. That means we're going into our lightning round.
1: Oh, Uh oh. and
0: our lightning round is queer or not queer. This is the yes or no homo lightning round. I will ask you, (laughs) is this queer? About five nouns and you just say yes or no. No explanation or nuance needed. Great. Kaylin, you start. There are five. There are five things. You just say yes or no. Are you ready? Yes. Yeah. Is this queer? Cats, the animal. Yes. Correct. Cats, the musical. Yes. No, <laughs> it is straight. I'm sorry. OK, Wait, I'd like an explanation on that. There is no explanation. What? OK, number three. Penny Proud from the Proud family. No, I'm sorry. They were called the Proud family. So it is queer.
1: You know what? <laughs> That's cheating. It's cheating. If you would have said Michael from The Proud Family, I would have said yes.
0: <laughs> That's true. You know what? That is true. Uh, shout out to Michael from The Proud Family. I don't even know what we're talking about. It was a cartoon. It was a cartoon yeah. in the on 90s Disney Channel. on Disney Channel. Oh. It's really great. Okay, number four. Burt's Bees. Yes. Yes, that is correct. All of their products are lesbians. Okay, and number five, Bob's Burgers. Yes. Yes, the show is very trans and bisexual. I will not explain. Okay, Allison, here are yours. Uh, uh, Kaylin got four of those correct. Let's see how you do. My face is hot.
3: <laughs> okay, number one. Yes. Oh, I'm not sorry. I proceed.
1: <laughs> I didn't want to think that it was my I'm malfunctioning. <laughs> <laughs>
3: I'm used to hosting the game show segment of this podcast. So being in the hot seat, I'm really I'm falling apart.
1: That's a lot. I get it.
0: <laughs> Before we enter, Caleb, do you have any like words of wisdom or advice that you would give Allison going into this game? As she is incredibly nervous to be a straight person playing yes or no homo.
1: Yes. Um I always understand that gay has many different meanings. You know, uh, gay is happy too. And so you never know. You just got to think of the happiness. Keep that in mind.
0: Thank you. That is really, really good advice. I feel like you're like a beacon of positivity here on <laughs> Just Between Us. <laughs> okay. Number one,
3: Alice. Yes. I'm ready. Oh,
0: proceed. <gasps> Carol, the movie. Yes. Yes. This movie is queer. There are no tricks. Okay. Carol, Ross's lesbian wife on Friends. Yes. No, anything about friends is straight. I'm sorry. Oh, that's fair. Actually, looking (laughs) back, that's definitely fair. (laughs) Okay. Number three attending the wedding of two people you've dated. Yes, correct. That is queer. That's never happened (laughs) to
1: you? No, but I'm like, yeah, that would definitely happen. I could see that happening.
0: (laughs) feel like that happens like once a month okay attending or is it officiating is the question Uh i almost almost wrote officiating because yes that is definitely a thing that happens kailan i feel like you would make a great like officiant of a wedding
1: i just tweeted about this recently i said i want to i want to learn how to become um you know officiator oh that'd be great so i can marry the gay.
3: I, do you think that you would sit people down and get to know the couple or would you just have a regular like a thing Oh do No, I everybody? just
1: want to show up. <laughs> I just show up and uh I'll read what's in the book and then I'll say there you are, you are where and now go home.
0: <laughs> Here's my appearance fee. And it's like right. appearance fee? You just but you just are are like a. you know, what's the fee for you to minister? No, it will be an appearance fee. Okay. You do have to pay. You have to pay these people.
1: You need to book me on Cameo.
3: You marry them through Cameo is incredible concept.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's honestly amazing. Well, I'm about to throw a curveball. Uh oh! <laughs> Attending the wedding of two people you are currently dating. Yes, correct. That is non-binary specifically. Okay, and finally, the Oscar-nominated movie Bohemian Rhapsody
3: own uh i think that because that film failed to highlight the true nature of his life i will say no
0: correct this movie is exceptionally straight wow you by the end you really pulled through (laughs) i am (laughs) smithson Unfortunately for you, Allison, the winner of the Gay Offs is Kaylin Allen. Thank you. So how do you feel that now that you've won?
1: I feel very gay. I, I'm very <laughs> happy to be able to know that I can leave today and tell everyone that my gayness was validated in this game. It has definitely been one of uh, a great honor in my life and career for this moment.
0: Thank you so much. And unfortunately, Allison, you are banned from Brunch at the Abbey. Should you explain what the Abbey is to everyone not from Los Angeles? It's a gay bar in West Hollywood. Uh, I would say their brunch is medium. (laughs) So so that is, you know, a minor inconvenience to you, but probably not devastating. Thank you so much for being here, Kaylin. Where can people find out more about you, find your work, uh, follow you?
1: I make it very easy. You can find me everywhere at the Kaylin Allen.
0: And please book Kaylin to officiate your wedding uh, through yes. Cameo.
1: Yes, thank you.
0: Can I just ask one more question? How, uh-huh. how has your pride been? Any
3: highlights so far?
1: Well, you know, for, for those of us in the industry, pride is a working month. OK, it's <laughs> not a celebration. It's, uh, oh, yeah, we got to get to the grind. So i just been working nonstop. So I'm trying to uh, use July. That's going to be my pride celebration because I'm going to go find somebody beach to lay on.
0: <laughs> You're just getting nonstop sponsorships. You're like, where were you the rest of the year? Just wondering. OK,
1: <laughs> like, you know, I'm gay every month, right?
0: No, they forgot. Then they were struggling to be like, oh, if they God, played I this don't...
1: game. Right. If they played this game, they would say no. <laughs> yeah unless it's in june
0: unless it's in june uh, yes i'm sorry frogs are not gay unless it is the month of june thank you for playing
1: that part
3: <laughs> you're not supposed to touch frogs right or is that just some frogs
0: i don't think you're supposed to
3: lick that. i didn't know
1: about that I, I, don't- think- what?
3: I think melissa's agreeing with me i
0: don't think i think
3: it can be really harmful to some
0: frogs to touch them okay well that's homophobic. Really? homophobic homophobic science is homophobic and i will not explain Thank you so
1: much for being here, Kaylin. I really appreciate you. Of course. And- of course. To the loo. Bye.
3: Thank you so much to Kaylin and Chase for being our guests on this half of our very special Pride episode. Make sure that
0: you tune in again on Friday. Oh, yes. Well, we'll be talking to Alexis Sanchez and Lucy Dakis and answering a listener's question and doing topics. So please come back on Friday for that episode. And we've completely changed the order of things because there are no rules. Because there are no rules in a, in, in an anti-capitalist, anti-heteronormative society here on Just Between Us. <laughs> this is my uh, intelligent and enlightened way of saying we did the show in a different order and just handle it, guys. <laughs> just Between Us is a Forever Dog production hosted by me, Allison Raskin. And me, Gabby Dunn. Produced by Melissa DeMont. Executive produced by Brett Boehm, Joe Cilio, and Alex Ramsey. Brendan Burns composed our killer theme music. To listen to this podcast ad-free, sign up for Forever Dog Plus at foreverdogpodcast.com slash plus. And check out video clips of our podcast on
3: YouTube at youtube.com slash foreverdogteam or youtube.com slash
0: show. Make sure to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Forever Dog Team to keep up with all the latest Forever Dog news. And at Allison Raskin, and at Emotional Support Lady for Allison, and at Gabby Road, and at BWM Pod for Gabby. Thank you so much. Happy Pride! Forever! Dog!